Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of our special guests. And when Pastor Dan was talking to me and with me about the service tonight, you know, he was talking about the fact that the, the uh, leadership team has been emphasizing prayer. And uh, he would like for me to uh, speak along those lines. And so I said, that would be a wonderful thing for me to do. And I'd be happy to do that for you and for all of us here tonight. So we're going to talk about prayer, but we're going to look at it from an angle of purpose. Prayers have purpose. If you don't know why you're praying, there's no point to pray. So you need to know why we pray. And, that, and if you study the New Testament, you'll find that there are many types of prayers. They're not all the same. And the problem with many people in the body of Christ, like I said earlier today, because of a lack of knowledge concerning this, people pray incorrectly and they don't pray accurately and they pray erroneously. Their hearts are right. They're trying their best to get God involved in their life. But um, because they don't know which kind of prayer to pray for what they're facing or what they need from God, their prayers many times are unsuccessful, shall I say. And they're not getting the kind of results that they're believing God for. And so uh, because this church is, in my mind, one of the most soul-winning churches we know, and that's why for us, for my wife and I, it's such a blessing to call this our home church. We couldn't be in a better church for the way I see the world and the way we work for God. It's all about souls. That's the heartbeat of God, and it will always be. And if you wish to be a success for Jesus, learn to let souls be your number one priority because that is all that God cares about. All the things that he promises, all the blessings that he gives, it's all for helping us be more effective in outreach to people who don't know what we know about Jesus. So um, I want to talk to you tonight about one prayer, one particular kind of prayer. There are many, and we could talk about the prayer of faith, the prayer of agreement, the prayer of consecration. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of them out there in the New Testament. But tonight we're going to talk about one particular kind of prayer, and this is the prayer for power. Now, of course, in a general sense, all prayer produces God's power in our lives in different ways, depending upon what we're praying about, okay? But again, you have to have purpose in your prayers. And if we are going to be effective soul winners for Jesus, we are going to need to go beyond what we know in the Bible to what God can confirm through what we say about what we know. We have to have confirming power. If you don't have the confirming power, your witness will be incomplete. And God doesn't want that. He wants a complete witness, a complete and accurate presentation to the world. Okay? So I know that many of you here are coming because you need healing. And we're going to talk about that because this is the power, this is the prayer that produces the atmosphere for and the uh, qualifications for the kind of power that changes lives when they come into contact with the power from God. I've always said this, and I always will until Jesus returns, one miracle is worth 10,000 sermons. Churches are built on miracles. They're not built on fancy preaching. They're built on the miracle power of God that confirms the message people share. And if a church does not have the confirming power of God in manifestation, that is a dead work, just full of people, but it's a dead work, okay? It's not an accurate presentation of the gospel, okay? So I want to read a few things from the scriptures to set the stage for where I'm going to take us in Luke uh, this evening. But first of all, go with me, if you would, to Acts. Let's look at a few examples of things we're talking about here, and then we're going to get into the outline for the prayer of power that we're going to talk from and see from concerning the Word of God, okay? Acts chapter number 4. 
Now, before we start reading from the fourth chapter, let me just summarize chapters two and three to lead us into what we're going to read from chapter four. In Acts chapter two, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have the, the mighty rushing wind, the cloven tongues, tongues of fire, and they go out from the upper room talking in other tongues, and the power of God is there, and thousands of people hear the gospel, and thousands of people are saved, okay? And then we move into chapter three. The Bible says that the, the power of God is flowing, and great signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostles. So the church is exploding, and it's not exploding because they're just great preachers. It's exploding because there's power confirming the things these men are saying. And then in chapter three, we have Peter and John going up into the temple at the hour of prayer. And there's the crippled man who was laid daily at the gate called Beautiful. And seeing Peter and John, that he stretches out his hands expecting to receive something from them. And Peter says to this, this poor soul, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, takes him by the hand and pulls him up. And immediately the Bible says his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. And he goes walking and leaping and screaming praises to God into the temple, which as you can imagine, creates all this commotion and people come running. And then Peter preaches the message, the first real evangelistic crusade message found in the New Testament right there as a result of that, of that, that, that miracle. And so because of this, they are arrested. You can expect the devil to stand up and try to stop what God is doing. Don't be surprised by this. Every time the power of God begins to manifest, you can, you can bet old Splitfoot will show up with all of his minions, religious leaders, and, and puppets of stupidity to try and stop what the Holy Spirit is attempting to do. Well, they threw them in jail. And then in chapter 4, they're brought before the powers to be to give an account for and to explain what they did. Who gave you this authority? We didn't tell you to do these things. Who do you think you are? Like that, okay? So Peter is in the process of answering this charge as we pick up in the 13th verse, okay? So Acts chapter four, verse number 13. Here's what it says. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Listen, if you want to be with Jesus, here's how you're going to be with him. With the power that manifests in confirmation of the words we share in his name, okay? A lot of people are saved by Jesus, but very few people are with him. When you're with him, these kinds of things are happening in your life. You don't have to be a full-time minister for this, by the way. Okay, it says in verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. See, you can't deny the miracle power of God. Anybody here understand what I'm talking about? You know, if you come into contact with the miracle power of God, it moves beyond discussion and debate. Now you know that what these people said about Jesus is true because you've experienced it. That's why I preach the way I do, because I've experienced the power of God. I've been sick, and I've used my faith, and I am healed. I've seen so many miracles, I can't count them all. So no, nobody, don't, don't come along and tell me faith doesn't work. And don't come along and tell me that the miracle power of God, you know, the power for all this has been done away. You know, the day of miracles is over and all this. Oh, contraire. I've been around the mulberry bush too many times, and I know what I'm talking about, because we've seen what we're talking about here. Amen. And the good news is, God's no respecter of persons. They could say nothing against it. Man, they wanted to, but they couldn't because the guy's standing right there, okay? 
They can't deny. And, you know, they, they pulled themselves aside afterwards and said, what are we going to do with these people? You know, and it says in verse number 16, what should we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. There's where you want to live your life, in a place where the unbelievers, the critics, the puppets of Satan, whomever they may be, they can't deny the power of God that's flowing in our life. And there is a prayer positioned in the New Testament to qualify people who really want this kind of power to manifest it in their lives consistently, day to day, no matter where they go. Praise the Lord, this kind of power is available, but you just have to qualify for it. And we're going to find out why in just a few minutes, okay? It's a prayer of power, okay? It's a prayer that God offers to everybody but very few people qualify for it because they don't know how to qualify or if they do, they just, they don't have the discipline to get there and stay there. We're gonna talk about this tonight, okay? And if you're here and you need healing, you're in the right place at the right time because people in this building have paid the price. We know some things about the power of God, amen. And if you're here and you need help, you're in the right place. The power of God is here to confirm the things we say. And that is the foundation for the Great Commission. Look at Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter number 16, verse 20, last verse of the chapter. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 20. This is after Jesus has commissioned them and commanded them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so they're, they're, they're doing now what they've been commanded to do. Then in verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs, or signs following, depending upon the translation of choice that you're reading from. Confirmed with signs following. They went out and they were preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them. Or we could say, you know, uh, Jesus is with them. They have been with Jesus. The Lord is working with them. I want the Lord working with me. I want the Lord working in my life. How many can agree? That's, that's the best way to go. As Pastor Jim mentioned, you know, when you start doing things in your own zealousness for God, you'll go as far as your first tank of gas. And from then on, you're just cruising to a stop. Won't, it might take a while, but, you know, you don't have the strength to sustain this week after week, month after month, year after year. You've got to be doing this in the power of the Lord. Amen? Because the more you flow in the power of God, the bigger of a target you become for the enemy to shoot down. Okay? They went everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with the accompanying or signs following. Amen. All right. Now look with me one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One last passage to review here. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse number 1. Here's Paul. This is his message to the Corinthian church. Okay. And then we're going to talk about specifically what the Bible says concerning the rules governing the prayer of power, the one we're going to talk about here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Notice, he was a very educated man, but he says, I didn't come to you with some polished professional presentation of some kind. I came to you in a different way. And he goes on, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith 
should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's where you want to live your life. That's what we want. That's what we want to see manifest in our life. That men's faith, after we're finished preaching the gospel to them, is not in what we've had to say, but in the power that confirms what we've had to say. Okay? That's where we want to be. And he says, look, I was with you. Now, see, we, we deify Paul. Many of us do, at least. Anybody in the body of Christ deify the man. But he was no different than you and me. He had his issues, just like we do, just like you do, just like I do. And it says right there, I was with you in weakness, fear, and in trembling. I, I, you know, people don't picture Paul trembling. In fact, some translations talk about the fact it was much. In fact, the word here is added, much trembling. Okay? He dealt with fear in the midst of ministry, okay? And you can read about all the things he had to face, but he, he persevered because he had for, for the foundation of his ministry the power of God, the power of God, so that people's faith going through those tumultuous and dangerous times of persecution when their life was on the line for living for Jesus, their faith was not in what Paul had to say, their faith is in what he said after and then the miracle power to confirm what he had to say to them. And this is where our church and all churches need to be in these last days. We cannot cruise on polished preaching any longer. The world needs to see the real deal. The body of Christ, the real body of Christ needs to stand up and be recognized. Amen. We don't back up for anybody. We talk about the Bible. We talk about political things. By the way, if you go back and read the Bible, the prophets had a lot to say about what was going on in government. Okay. And we need to stand up and be heard. And not just because of what we have to say, but because of the power that the enemies of the gospel cannot deny. They cannot deny the miracle power. And even, you know, like Pastor Jim said, let these people come in and experience the power of God for themselves. Glory to God. So having said these things, there is one New Testament prayer specifically designed to prepare people to receive and to flow with the confirming power of God. All right, let's look at Luke chapter number 11. And this is where we're going to spend the balance of our time here from Scripture. We're going to pick this apart, the 11th chapter, beginning in the first verse, and we're going to see what the Bible says about this particular kind of prayer. It is not the prayer of faith. It is not the prayer of agreement. It is not the prayer of consecration. It is not any of those prayers. Those are prayers with, uh, with specific rules and, and regulations concerning the application of those particular prayers in particular situations. This is different. This one is for what God wants us to be and how he wants to use us in these last days. And you don't have to be some educated, polished college graduate, okay? Paul made that statement. He said, I didn't come to you with all the wisdom I've been able to accumulate over the years. I purposed in my heart not to know anything except Jesus and him crucified, okay? And the, the, uh, the apostles, when they were on, on trial, they realized that these were uneducated and untrained men. You don't have to have a university education for any of this. You don't have to go to somebody's Bible school. If God tells you to go, then go ahead and go. I went because he told me to. But, there, you know, the, the earth is populated by believers out on the front lines doing great things for God, and they never went anywhere. They just obeyed God. And if you're here and you're in love with God, he wants to use you too. Amen. Amen. And if you're sick, he wants to heal you so you've got a testimony so you can take that out into the world and help other sick people. You know? Look at it that way, okay? Instead of going from trial to trial in your life, you know, one trial after another, look at it this way. Look at what happens in between the trials. It's victory after victory after victory. See it from a different perspective, 
okay? Tragedy, tragedy, yeah, well, okay, attack after attack. Well, how about victory after victory? From the attacks. Victory to victory to victory to victory. All right, Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 1. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, this would be Jesus, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us, notice, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So the topic here is prayer. They watched him pray, and then they pulled him aside when he was done and said, we want to learn how to pray like you pray. We've been watching you, and we'd like you to teach us how to pray, like John did for his disciples. So he begins. So he said, when you pray, say. First of all, prayer is supposed to be audible. When you pray, say. Prayer is supposed to be an audible declaration of something that you're standing on from the Word of God, a promise, a declaration, whatever the case may be. Say something, okay? Uh, you can think things and you can think about things, but when you really want to see things done, the Bible says, when you pray, say. So we're going to talk about things we need to be saying. When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. We're going to talk about the daily bread here in just a minute. And we want it day by day. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, now, usually people who read this stuff stop after chapter 11, verse 4. The Lord's Prayer. And that's where they stop, after verse 4. But don't stop after verse 4. How many, how many understand that the Bible was not written in chapters and verse? You understand that part? Jesus did not walk down the road saying, Verily, verily, disciples, I say unto you, chapter 10, turn with me to verse 17. Now, he didn't talk like that. All that stuff was added centuries and centuries later for study and reference purposes. The original manuscripts didn't have any of that in there. So don't, don't stop reading after verse 4 because he's not done. He goes on into verse 5. And, notice, and... And is a conjunction, meaning we're connecting thoughts. And he said to them. So he goes right into additional teaching about how to pray. That was the original question. Teach us how to pray. Okay, verse 5. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. We're talking about daily bread here. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, verse number 7, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, underline that word, in the old King James it's importunity. Newer translations use the word persistence. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And he's not done. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. So, so here's the conclusion of this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone. How many? Everyone. everyone. That includes you. That includes me. That includes anybody calling themselves a believer. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. These are definitive statements. They're not, you know, I hope and maybe he will and maybe he won't. It's not what he's saying. Then verse 11, he's still not finished. If a son asks for bread 
from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? These are rhetorical questions. The answers, the implied answers are, of course, we know that's not true. He's not going to get, you know, a scorpion instead of an egg. He's not going to get a serpent instead of a fish, etc. We know this. All right, then, verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, please circle that, underline that, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now this, I've heard people use this passage to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you can apply that in a general principle. You can use the verses if you wish, and it doesn't violate the context. But the context of this passage is not talking about receiving the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit, although, of course, when we ask for that, we will receive it. We're talking about a particular kind of prayer. It's the prayer of persistence or the prayer of importunity. In the Greek... The verbs found in verse 9. Ask, seek, knock. In the Greek, those are in the continuous sense. In fact, in the Amplified Bible and other uh, paraphrasing type of translations, it says, they who ask and keep on asking, they who seek and keep on seeking, they who knock and keep on knocking. This is not a one-time knock on the door. This is not a one-time seeking of something. This is a continuous thing. It's persistence that pays off. This is why, we're going to go back and take a look at the illustration he uses here. This is why, okay, not everybody qualifies for this because this is a continuous application of prayer, an ongoing application for day-to-day -day bread, fresh manna, fresh power. Yesterday's anointing is for yesterday. It doesn't apply today. You can't cruise on yesterday's revelation. You can't cruise on yesterday's anointing. That's past. That's over with. Today is a brand new day. You got to be asking, seeking, knocking. Stay on your knees because the people that God leads you to need this and the people you meet tomorrow are not the people you meet today. Which of you shall have a friend? All right, let's talk about this. The friend we go to is God. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? Midnight represents the end of the age, the last of the last days. We are at the midnight hour. Jesus is coming very soon. It's midnight. Which of you shall have a friend? The friend is God. And go to him, God, at midnight, okay? And say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves. Notice, lend me. This is not my bread. You lend me what you have. I don't have it, but you have it. I need it. Why? Because a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. The friend of yours that comes on his journey represents humanity, lost humanity. Those are the friends of yours. They come on their journey. Their journey is life. Their journey is a life without purpose. Their journey is confusion and, and, and um, you know, lethargy and, 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 and laziness and tiredness and exhaustion, okay? They come on their journey, okay? And they, you have nothing to set before them. You want to help them, but you don't have anything to give them. So you go on to your friend, and you answer, and he answers the friend that you go to, answers from within and say, and he says in reply, this would be God, don't trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. The children in bed represent the people in heaven. You go to your friend who is God. You go to him not because you're hungry, but because your friend has visited you. And because you want to help your friend and you want to give him some sustenance and some bread, but you don't have any, you go to your other friend whom you know has plenty of bread to give. But when you go knocking on the door, the friend on the inside says, you 
know what? I don't want to bother with you right now. I'm in bed with my children. Don't go. Go away. Just go away. And the Bible says, as Jesus continues with this illustration, he within, from within says, don't trouble me, the doors now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. And then verse eight, here it is. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because they are friends. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. Listen. God is not going to give you the power, the miracle power to confirm the gospel just because you're born again. He's going to give you the power because you qualify for it, because you spend time on your knees for it, because you're asking, seeking, knocking. You will not stop badgering God, so to speak, until you get the power that you need to feed your hungry friend who's dying from, from lack of sustenance in your house. You have nothing to give him. The other dude's got the bread. You go to your friend because he's got the bread. It's not for you. You don't need the bread. You're, you're okay but you're going to your friend to get help for the friend that visited you in the midnight hour of his life. And, you, you know, you, you just don't get it. You don't get it because you go to Bible school. You don't get it because you love the Lord. You don't get it because you show up at church. You get this because you spend time in your prayer closet pounding on heaven's door. I want the power to confirm the message. I want to represent you accurately. I want you to stretch forth my hands to heal so that signs and wonders will be manifest through me when I preach the gospel. I want the friends who visit me at the midnight hour of their life for me to have the power to give them as much as they need. And God will say, you know what? Initially, I didn't, you know, I'm not going to bother with you. I'm in bed with my children. But because you won't leave me alone, I'll give you the power as much as you need. Amen. Are you listening? You can be prophesied over. You can have hands laid upon you. You can have your hands laid upon you until, you know, your hair falls off your head, which in my case, you can see that has happened. But the point is, you need to come to a place where you recognize there is a price to pay for the power to build a church. There's a price to pay for the power to build churches around the world. There's a price to pay to drive the enemy back. Now, if you're here and you're game, you're in the right place. You are just a decision away from the power that changes nations, from the power that changes hard places like California and other places like this. You're just one decision away. The power's here and the invitation's here. Glory to God. Amen. When I was at Bible school, there was one particular guest speaker from Brother Hagin. He knew this guy, he had him in. And I was there, and I, you know, I worked every night at, at Quick Trip, the uh, 7-Eleven equivalent out there. And I worked, so I missed a lot of the meetings, you know. People, Oral Roberts came through that year. Uh, my gosh, all, all these who, who's who, you know, the, the faith people and so forth. I missed all of that because I had to work, okay. But at the end, I had this time off, and Brother Hagin had someone else come in, another well-known, anointed minister, a no-nonsense kind of guy. And uh, I, I was able to attend his meetings like one week in a row each night. And I sat on the front row with bated breath, taking notes, you know, and all of this stuff. And uh, at the end of this, he said, he preached from Acts chapter 9, Paul on the road to Damascus. I never will forget the message. Paul on the road to Damascus. And he said, you know, when Paul was knocked off his mount and fell to the ground and the power of God hit him and his life was changed, that power was transferred from heaven to him. And he walked in that power, that miracle anointing for the rest of his ministry life amidst all the pressures and the perse persecution and the suffering and all the stuff he writes about in 2 Corinthians, okay? 
And then at the end, he says, I am led by God to line people up. If you're interested in having this kind of power, the same anointing that was given to the Apostle Paul, if you're game, I want you to come up here, stand in this line, and I'm going to pass this to you. Lay hands on you, and you're going to get the same anointing Paul got on the road to Damascus. That's what he said. And I was one of about 30 people. There was a line of about 30 people in, the, in, in that line. I got up, and I was there. And I was at the end of the line. And he started over here on this side. And he began laying hands on people. Okay, and he wasn't, you know, he, he was a no-nonsense no guy, and he just lay hands on people to receive in Jesus' name. Receive in Jesus' name, like that. You know, no, no, nothing dramatic. Just receive in Jesus' name. And people were just falling under the power. He got halfway, about halfway. He's about six or seven people from me. The anointing was so thick in that room, I was having trouble standing up. Nobody was near me. I could barely stand and keep my balance. The anointing was so thick in that room, you could cut it with a knife. And by the time he got to me, he barely grazed the tip of my head with his fingertip. And I went down like a rock. Laid there for 45 minutes. They, he finished the service, left. They closed the meeting. People left, turned the lights off. I was still on the floor. I couldn't get up. I couldn't get up. Okay? Waves of power were flowing through me. It was, as if, it was like somebody had plugged a, a socket into my foot and was turning the juice on and off, on and off, on and off. Just waves of power. I'm, sitting on, I'm laying on the ground just shaking like this. I mean, the, the janitor waited. The building was closed. They all left. He had to wait for me. I couldn't get off the floor. If the building was burning down, I would have burned down with it. And from that day until this day, you know, that, that anointing has resided within me. But here's the deal. That anointing needs to be cultivated. It needs to be um, prayed out. It needs to be uh, in, in, well, I'm not sure what word I'm, to use here holy spirit help me out but you need to activate it and it needs to stay active and it needs to stay current because like i said a few minutes ago that anointing can wane okay and i'm here to say that anointing is present if you're here and you need healing i've prayed the prayer of persistence i've prayed it for 40 years and i'll pray it until jesus comes okay we've got the power we've prepared ourselves we stretch forth our hands and god's going to heal through our hands if you're here and you need help you're in the right place here's the other good deal if you're here in the right place you can receive that kind of anointing too god's got no respecting of persons here are you listening if you want that kind of power I'm not suggesting I lay hands on everybody, but you can just reach out and say, you know, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a player and not just a spectator. I don't want to be just the body in a chair on Sunday morning. I want to be out there shaking and rocking my world for Jesus. I want the neighbors to know. I want my coworkers to know. I want my friends to know. I want my relatives to know who I serve. Not because of just what I say, because of the power that they cannot deny. They can't deny it. The power of God. That's what will change a place like California, a place like all these, all these other places where these people are going out of their way to shut down our churches. I got news. You're not going to shut down the body of Christ. Who do you think you are? And that's arrogance, ignorance and arrogance. You can't shut down the body of Christ. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. So they can huff and puff, honey, but they're not going to blow down this house. Amen. So if you're here tonight, and you've come because you need healing. You're in the right place. We have prayed these prayers. My wife and I, and I know Pastor Jim and Debbie do this too, and Pastor uh, Jessica and Dan. We, all, we know what the price is to pay to get to a place where God can trust us with the power to change nations. Okay? 
We are smart enough to know we're nobody without Jesus. This is part of the qualification process. You have to get beyond yourself. We're nobody special. Are you kidding? We're just like you. People of like precious faith, people of like precious passions. We have struggles and issues no different than you. But we understand that we've gone to our friend at midnight and we've pounded and we've sought and we have asked and we have, we have received and we're going to keep on asking and keep on pounding because yesterday's anointing is stale bread. We want the fresh bread today to give to our friends who visit us at midnight, the ones who need what we have to give. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.